Hey there, everybody. Welcome to RPG Fan After Dark. Uh, not really. I just have this sexy voice because I am very sick and out of the weather and I've lost my voice tonight. Super fun. Therefore, I'm not going to give you too much in the way of news at the beginning of this episode. And we're just going to go into episode 175 right after this word from our sponsors. I'm kidding. We don't have sponsors. That's crazy talk. Anyways, enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to Random Encounter. I'm Greg Delmich, I'm your host. Uh, I'm here with some silly peoples. Uh, we've been having a silly fun time on the pre-show, so we're all warmed up and ready to go. But uh, if you need to yell at me about anything, you can find me on social media, at Greg Delmich, and uh, gdelme on the Discord. And over here, uh, let's turn it over to Joe Padilla. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, Joe. Welcome, Joe Padilla. Well, thank you, Greg. Happy, well, happy past uh, Canadian Thanksgiving to you. It was a while ago. Yes. <laughs> uh, where can folks find you on the line? Uh, folks can find me. Um, I'm on the social media editors, so you can find me on Facebook and Twitter for RPG Fan. And then personally, you can find me on the Discord um, and on Twitter and Instagram as at Queers for Fears. Every time. I love it. <laughs> And we also have uh, someone else who is not celebrating Thanksgiving, just like me. We're both working schmoes. Alana Higgs. Ooh, hey. Hello, everyone. <laughs> it's like, I didn't know what I'm else to assuming they all said hi. <laughs> Why did no one answer I know. This is terrible. This is... I Listeners, expect- you're all rude. Yeah, I know. Yes, no Thanksgiving over here. Um, We don't really have an equivalent. I'm going to say Easter, but that was a long time ago, so... <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, Alana was sharing in our uh, work Slack here at RPG Fan that uh, there a, a crime has been committed in her life where she has not had pumpkin pie. I know. What? Yeah, what? pumpkin pie is not a thing in the UK. Pumpkins are not eaten very regularly in the UK, which is a crime. I have at least eaten pumpkin before, and it is great, but not pumpkin That's pie. That's good. Yeah. Y'all, y'all colonized the United States, and you didn't bring back pumpkins. Like, I know. The- I know. They just went and made it into juice, apparently, <laughs> if Harry Potter is to be believed, which I did not try when I went to Hogsmeade. I just had butterbeer, but I didn't have that. Uh, um, but before I segue into uh, life's adventures, Alana, where can folks find you on the social media, uh, should you want to share that? Yeah, well, the best place to find me is on Twitter. I am at Alana Hakes. Um On the Discord, I pop up occasionally as Diving Falcons, and I have an email address as well if you're very traditional. Uh, you can email me for any of your reviews needs at alanah.rpgfan.com. Those are probably the three best places to find me. It's true. And you work stupidly hard with reviews. Uh, <laughs> and thank you for that. Because, yeah, our site is the better for it. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for everything you all do. Because you both, in particular, are wonderful people. Oh, thank Aww. you. <laughs> this is what Thanksgiving's about, people. Uh, being thankful for the folks that you uh, have around you. Uh, it's a good time to kind of take stock of that. We are chatting a bit about that because there's obviously uh, dubious beginnings of Thanksgiving uh, traditionally, but I don't know. I've always taken the past 
I want to say five or six years now I've been doing it where I just try and make a point of telling everybody like how thankful I am for them and why. And it is mushy and dumb and I get made fun of it by my wife every single year. <laughs> but she also deep down loves it. <laughs> so she's just like, thank you for being stupid and mushy. We all like hearing that you're thankful for all of us and our family. And, blah, 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 and I love you and I'm thankful for you too. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely definitely despite the as you said dubious origin it's never a bad day to uh one not have work and two to let people know that they matter to you Mm-hmm. agreed yeah exactly and whether it's the family you choose or the family that you were born with there's always hopefully somebody in your life that you are thankful to have around <laughs> i am thankful that we saved a ton of money and went to disneyland recently so again listeners sorry for a late episode as you saw uh, my wonderful cheesy postcard i made for you all <laughs> uh, i was wandering through the various lands of disney and it was fantastic, and especially uh, the little boy me became a little boy once again walking into Galaxy's Edge. I'm not going to spoil too much for anybody who plans to go there, because it is just a wonder if you get to any either Disneyland or Disney World and go into Galaxy's Edge and you're a Star Wars fan. Oh, just the immersion of it as you slowly get into it is incredible, and it's just, they do a great job. And it was just great remembering that I love Disney. Like I was a kid again, it was the first time for me going to Disneyland and it was my daughter Gwen's first time. So we both kind of were both like, oh my gosh, this, oh my gosh, that. I haven't been to Disney World since I was nine, so it's been a while. And They do such a good job of doing what Disney, Walt Disney wanted, which was making a place that's fun for kids and adults. Mm. It's like, it's perfect. Like there's just something in it for anyone and you fully enjoy like i know these are people in suits and costumes but i'm fully talking to them like they're mickey or chip and dale and just letting them do what they do and they're all wonderful and patient and just great with everybody because they got to go through a lot and put up with a lot and they're all they just make the experience so magical it's oh it was great it was very rewarding very busy five days of walking like 12 plus kilometers a day and gwen kept up which was amazing (laughs) we opened and shut the park down one day which was like wow yeah, getting up at 6 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. and basically getting there and starting off at like 8 and going right to like 10 p.m. Wow. And she was there the whole time for it. Aw, that's awesome. Yeah, it was super great. So that's where I was and being very busy and now trying to get back into real life that isn't Disney. But I will say I, I bought a, a lightsaber and <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty happy enough. about it. Yeah, yeah. Yep, well, that was my big buy. It was, oh, it's awesome. Well, and I had one... Uh, that she had gotten from friends back, like, I think Euro Disney, they got her, like, I think it's Anakin's lightsaber. And I was like, well, you got one. I should get one, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that was my big purchase. <laughs> so which lightsaber was it? Uh, well, I didn't go for a character one. I spent the money on actually doing the experience where you build your own. Oh. Oh. Which is a very cool thing. Yeah. So they have... The, uh, you know, if you're walking around Galaxy's Edge and the First Order approaches you, you're just going to the scrap shop. That's all. It's just a scrap shop because Jedi stuff is illegal. <laughs> but once you get in, they you kind of you have a selection of like four different types of lightsaber kind of flavors, for lack of a better term right now. So there's like uh, like power and control. There's elemental slash nature. I went with the one I think was justice and defense. And then there's a another one that I can't think of what it is, but they all basically are kind of like themed parts and you get a little bit of choice within those parts. That sounds really cool. 
uh, yeah, so you get to p- pick like within all those different parts, which is kind of neat. So uh, like mine has like a gold kind of silver thing, and all the parts are metal, so it's really well made. Oh, wow. It's an expensive process, so it's nice to know that like everything holds up. And so you get like two di- two out of four grips you can pick. You get two different pommel ends. You get two different like top things for the chassis, and you get to pick your own kyber crystal that'll determine the color of your lightsaber. So I went with. Uh, violet, so that way I kind of had a balance of the light and the dark side with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And because Mace Windu was good times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, you do all this, and it's got a bit of a show to it all as well. So it's not just like, give us $200 and there you go, do your thing. Like they go through a process with it and make it very involving. So that was very cool as well. And then you have this fully function, like really nice lightsaber that makes all the noises when you move it, it'll interact with other lightsabers and clash and do that sort of thing. So it was very cool, and I recommend it if uh, if you are a big child like I am. Definitely, <laughs> <laughs> uh, What about uh, you folks? What have you been up to, Alana, lately? Oh, gosh. Well, just too many video games. Well, I mean, life is kind of busy at the moment. It's coming up to the holiday season. Work is really busy. Right. So I just kind of bury away and play video games in the evening or go out with friends but nothing special really um we'll talk about a particular game probably towards the end of the podcast um but pokemon sword and shield came out in the gap between episodes and i I went to the midnight launch and had some fun with some friends made some pokemon cookies and ate them oh very cool and we had a good time. Oh, I think I did see those, yeah. Yeah. You had, like, um, cookie cutters for it? That's right, yeah. They were the three Gen 1 stars, so Bulbasaur, Charmander, Squirtle, and made some cookies, made some gingerbread as well, and we stayed up till 4am playing Pokemon, so that was a good time. Um, I have it on good authority that uh, gingerbread makes for a good Eevee. Gingerbread <laughs> is definitely a name I've given an Eevee at some point in my life, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I buy that. Well, my mum had to do, um, my mum as a side job does birthday cakes and back when pokemon was the craze a lot of pokemon birthday cakes came through oh lovely yeah i had a pokemon birthday cake when i was a kid (laughs) there's yeah there's tons of them but one kid that a friend of hers uh, her son i think he was allergic to a lot of stuff that was in conventional cakes so she was like what if we did like a big gingerbread cake and so she did gingerbread and obviously it's the same color as an eevee so then she just kind of left the body of the gingerbread for the eevee body and then iced on like the fluff oh that's so good and it actually turned out really beautifully actually and uh it was delicious that's what i hear that was the sad part about growing up as a kid is seeing like Four birthday cakes a week being made in my house that weren't for me. (laughs) They would just leave. But I had to get a lot of pickings of icing, so that was great. That's good. As long as you get something. Yeah, exactly. Do you have an extensive list, uh, Alana, for for holiday shopping? Uh, It's not too bad. My family and friends, we don't tend to go crazy. It's just kind of my friends and I always make a point to spend some time together before christmas and around new year as well we'll probably do stuff at new year more than anything so it's more just about spending time with friends and family um i don't have a big family uh my brother got married this year so i'd imagine that my brother and his wife will be over on christmas day so that will be nice but otherwise just yeah it's not really we don't really have a big list or anything it's just kind of what do you want or need and if not well, let's do something instead you know which is great. Yeah. It's like Thanksgiving. Spending time with family is something we don't always make time for. So it's nice to have 
as much as the holiday definitely gets centered around like the commercial aspect of it, it's also nice to have that reminder of like, oh, people I haven't seen in a while, I should get together with them. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does Black Friday really like spill out over there too, like it does up in Canada? Because I mean, obviously, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving right now, but we still have a bunch of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all that stuff's going crazy here. Has that spilled over into Europe and the UK and such? Yes, it has. It did a few years ago. First time I remember it was maybe like 2014 or 2013, maybe. Um, it's not really something I do. Um, I'm not really into any kind of that crazy like, oh, you must buy this because it's cheaper. And it's like, one, no, it's not. And two, please treat your staff properly. Like, you know, I'm not really one of those big, big bargain shoppery people that would go out on Black Friday and stuff. But yeah, it's been around for a while without the Thanksgiving, obviously. So, But it tends to be all week now, doesn't it? It's never like a one day thing. Right. It tends to be like two weeks worth of sales and... Yeah. Yeah, and they just kind of warm you up. I think like the Black Friday itself probably still has specific deals for that day to drag people out on that day that are probably the best. But yeah, like it always like all starts on Thursday or and then of course you have Cyber Monday and Yeah. But they have like of course quote unquote door crasher deals. <laughs> Uh, which I know in the States there is actual door crashing that happens. Yes. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, yeah. I've never seen it that bad here. Uh, so Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I'll be doing something. I mean, I, my computer needs a hard drive, uh, like a regular hard drive, not my SATA drive that is full of everything. <laughs> so I think I'll be picking one of those up for dirt cheap since a lot of that stuff goes on special. But, yeah, I, I'm not too crazy. And that's been holding up for a new phone, though. So that's what her big uh, Black Friday deal is going to be. Cool. She's blaming all of her failings at uh, Dr. Mario, (laughs) uh, the the mobile one now. Like her inability of the the phone's inability to keep up with her is what the the failing is now on her very old iPhone. And she's jealous that I get to play Mario Kart and her phone can't handle it. So I think she wants to do that too. Yeah. Because Mario Kart World 2 is so good. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. I've been enjoying it. Well, thanks, Alana, for sharing. It's been a while since we had you on the podcast, so it's nice hearing that life is going along swimmingly for you, I hope. It is. Thank you. <laughs> okay, good. And Joe, what have you been up to? Uh, we'll take this opportunity after your life stuff to segue into other things I know you have been doing. Yeah. Um, well, um, I'm not sure if uh, both of y'all know, but I play in a band, um, and uh, we've been doing a lot of work over the past few weeks um, with... Uh, an EP that we're releasing in a couple of months. So, oh, awesome! Congrats! Yeah, so we have so we have the first single coming out in a couple of weeks, and yeah, that's been been really exciting. And uh, so, just been doing a lot of that, and then yeah, as, we, as we'll launch into talking about games, it's been a lot of games. Um, <laughs> it's been Sword and Shield. It's been the past few days has been Bloodborne. Yeah, because you picked up a new nice. console, which expands your horizons, right? Yes, I got a PS4 Pro um, because they had a special edition Death Stranding one, and I am a ridiculous person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got so I got that console, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, I really like it. It's a solid console. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially in getting it now. I mean, there's but six years of games that have come out for it. So I'm just playing a, a whole lot of catch up. So, so, you know, Bloodborne, uh, Nier Automata, uh, what else did I have? Street Fighter. So yeah. I've heard good things oh, wow, about yeah. both those RPGs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nier Automata, Nier Automata. There we go. Nier Automata. <laughs> one that I want to uh, go back for, for sure. And Bloodborne, 
I don't know. Dark Souls was fun and such, but yeah, I haven't. I kind of fell off it, I guess. I, I didn't drink the Kool-Aid as deeply as uh, former hosts of this podcast. <laughs> so, Whoever would you be referring to? <laughs> uh, Claire, clearly, uh, Derek Heemsbergen. Ah, yeah. He was the biggest fan of the Bloodborns and the Souls of Darkness and such. No, Rob Steinman. Uh, uh, bless him, who is wonderful. And let's all take a shot because we've talked about Dark Souls. Yep. <laughs> but no. Uh, I miss Rob. I would love to be on a podcast with Rob, actually. That was one thing I was sad I never got to do yet. So, Rob, come on the podcast and tell me how terrible a job I'm doing. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, Death Stranding. Uh, I am super curious to hear about this <laughs> ridiculousness, as uh, I know Atlanta has been saying as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, what would you like me to talk about with it? Because there's certainly a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh um, well, it doesn't fall in our coverage, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. I guess it doesn't have enough RPG elements to it. But it was up for debate, I think, when it got launched. Like, we were thinking it could be, right, Elena? Mm, it's never really come up. It's, I think nobody was ever sure what Death Stranding was. And now we all know. It, it's basically a walking sim, isn't it? To really boil it down to something one... If you're going to boil it down to a one-term thing, walking sim possibly is the closest you can get. But... I am curious about, like, I don't know, just, like, for me, Death Stranding on the outside just looks like Hideo Kojima exercising all Hideo Kojima senses in one disc, and I am terrified and also a bit put off by it, but I'm also really curious. I feel like I'm banging on the outside of a window, like, what's going on here? But, yeah, Um... it's... Yeah. Hmm. Well, well, spoiler free. Uh, I'll keep this as spoiler free as possible. I mean, the game. I loved the gameplay. Um, it's nice. kind of like a more simplified, and we're gonna have to take another shot. It's like a more simplified, um, kind of more childlike Dark Souls in a way. Um, okay. Because because to traverse this beautiful world, um, it was made. The game was made with the Decima engine um, that was uh, used for Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, right. So it is. Oh, that's nice. Uh, it is so it is fantastic. It explains um, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the traversal, it, there's you know mount, there's snowy mountains, there's rocky terrain and everything, um, but kind of the big component that I compare it with to Dark Souls is that there is an asynchronous multiplayer aspect where um, you can build structures like bridges and ladders and such, and they will be in other people's games. And by pressing... Oh, that's super cool. Mm-hmm. And by pressing the um, that, that like glowing button on the PS4 controller, you can give it likes. So if oh. you really like someone's bridge, you can just tap that to give them a like. <laughs> um, and you get a higher score that like ranks up your... your basically, your... your um, delivery service rating <laughs> right which that was the part that i loved about it i love the community aspect of it i loved how positive that was because you can't really downvote things um yeah. you can't dismantle other people's structures um only within your own game um so it won't be erased from other people's games okay i was curious like yeah if you wanted to experience that challenge for yourself you don't necessarily have to have the structure there then exactly yeah yeah so if you want to dismantle a bridge you can do that that someone 
else has made and it won't remove it in other people's games and they're randomized servers um, essentially so you get people kind of all across the world they're thrown together and, <laughs> and by pressing the that the glowing button again um, when you're not around something to like uh, Norman Reedus's character just yells out and says hello and people can <laughs> reply back um, by pressing the <laughs> oh, button it's, it's really funny you don't see them but they just say like hello I'm Sam <laughs> oh that's super interesting um yeah does it only uh if you, uh can you only see it if you have ps plus or is it just whatever like it'll always show um, up in the game yeah you don't have to have ps plus for it so so i didn't have ps plus and it was working fine for me um, oh very cool yeah i have it now for bloodborne but um so uh so kind of i'll, I'll keep this brief uh story is an absolute mess <laughs> that it's, sounds right yeah it's it's it on brand it is possibly out of out of all the uh kojima games that i have played which is metal gear solid one through four um this is the messiest okay um it is possibly the least sexist which is still not saying much but i was gonna say that's shocking given some of the character names good grief uh, but a step in the right direction yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> step. it's per, perhaps it's maybe not a step in the right direction, but a step back from the edge of extreme misogyny. Okay, um, that's good. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so there, so there's that. Um, the actors in it are quite good. Um, Mads Mikkelsen is really good, actually, in this. Um, and Are you normally not a Mads fan? Oh no, he. I'm. Just, it's kind of in spite of the script because I think he's a great actor. Right. But, but oh, I see. But uh, Hideo Kojima is not terribly good with scripting. Gotcha. Um, so he's he's doing some heavy lifting, is what you're saying? Yes. I guess Reedus as well. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. Norman Reedus is he. He doesn't get a whole lot of um, emotional range in this. His move contrary to that, like crying with the baby trailer. Yes, he's very physical in this, which is great. Um, but in terms of that kind of acting, heavy lifting, I'd say Mads Mikkelsen is kind of uh, running the show. Um, Tommy Earl Jenkins, who plays a Die Hard Man, <laughs> is, <laughs> is is quite good as well. Um, like he looks like Bruce Willis, or no, that's his character's name. Yeah, Die Hard Man. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's Die Hard Man. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's a, what? Yeah, yeah. Welcome, I mean, welcome to Hideo Kojima's brain. This yeah, is basically this it. following in in the realm well, I mean, of characters like Hot Cold Man. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a rejected Mega Man character. Yeah, yeah. They mostly all sound like that. Um, but I mean, after what's your face with the the skin thing breathing? Like I've oh my god, lost hope for characters. Yeah. Quiet, oh, yes. God, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, there isn't anything necessarily like that where it's with quiet or something in Ground Zeroes, which I'm not even going to bring up on this show. You can look it up if you want. But uh, it concerns a character named Paz, I believe. Anyway, um, so I, I, it's a weird game, but I think that there's something really interesting. It is unsubtle as a sledgehammer, but the themes are interesting. Um, or it is as subtle as a sledgehammer, more like it. Um, but yeah, I think I think gotcha. people should give it a try. It's there's definitely more that I can say about it, but this is RPG fan, not Kojima fan or something. 
Definitely not. No. Yeah. I'd be really curious to listen to that podcast. Actually, oh, I'll do it. I'll. I'll just a weekly Kojima podcast. Oh, Kojima God. probably hosts one already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, I'm sure. I'm sure that there's some. I'm sure that there's some. I mean, there are probably YouTubers that make their careers off of this. So. Yeah, I mean, I guarantee there is something. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a podcast for everything. But it's just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're all fascinated when you get to baby in a jar for power or life or whatever like mm. what drugs do you have to take to get to that for your main one of your main story <laughs> gameplay elements right if 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 i can take a second recount a story about the baby in the game um so i have um so i i tend to wake up early for work and so there's one day where i was up at like 3 30 i was like well i don't have to be at work for a little bit so let me play some death stranding um your baby cries in this game and the mm. cry comes through the controller yeah. um it is very unsettling so it was 4 45 in the morning um and to soothe the baby you have to basically rock your controller as if it were a child oh god it uses oh, that's the so sensor. fascinating and weird it's super weird so um i was in the game i was beset by a phantom i won't go into more about that um, and my baby started crying and it's 4:45 in the morning and it's just me in my, in my room trying not to wake my roommates up smothering the controller because I hadn't figured out you can turn on the volume yet kind of rocking it back and forth saying <laughs> please be quiet stop BB stop this is a parent simulator yeah it's finest yeah um yeah, it definitely, uh, you know, I want kids someday, but not like that. No, no, no. Yeah, never mind taking home an egg for home ec or anything anymore. Like now you have uh, playing Death Stranding to oh God, teach yeah. kids about child rearing. Oh, yeah. God. Yes, yes. This is this is the future. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, super, <laughs> super weird. <laughs> Sorry, Alana. No, no, I just don't want that to be the future. Like, God, please help me. <laughs> Um, so super weird game. Give it a shot if it seems interesting to you. Um, it is a technical marvel in some instances. Um, so yeah. Well, I definitely want to uh, see more about it. I I feel like it's one I might pick up on sale someday, just because it it has been being really well received for what it is. <laughs> I mean, it's highly regarded at the. Uh, it, it was nominated for the video game awards and. A lot of other people seem to be pretty positive on it, so mm-hmm. I'd be curious to to drink the Kool Aid and <laughs> try it out. Uh, but continuing the trend of bizarre, weird game experiences, <laughs> uh, Shenmue Three, we finally got it, yeah. and you were playing it, Alana. I was. How how is it after all these years? Did you play the other two first? I have played. I have played the other two. Yeah, a few times. Um, you reviewed yeah. it, right? I reviewed the remasters last year <laughs> on the PS4, um, and I have also played them originally on Dreamcast and Xbox. Um, The first experience was watching my brother play them because I was relatively young when they first came out and they're quite involved. Um, But yeah, it's it's an extremely fascinating series and I want to say right now um, people who compare Yakuza and Shenmue shouldn't because they're very different, (laughs) extraordinarily different. Like Yakuza is very busy. There's Yes, there's lots of things life things to do and interaction and Japanese tourism and things like that. But Shenmue 
a bit like Death Stranding, is a game about doing things that are normal in that world and relatively mundane, I would say. Um, so, yeah, Shenmue. Have either of you played a Shenmue game before? I have not. Uh, I have not either, but I am fascinated by it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an extremely interesting case study because Yu Suzuki is... Like, there's nothing else like Shenmue at all, and I think my the most fascinating and maybe one of my favourite things about Shenmue 3 is that this is a game in 2019 that feels exactly like the other two, and I think, you know, when you get, like, long-distance sequels like, you know, Mega Man 9, Mega Man 9 and 8 feel like the older ones, definitely, but yeah. by virtue it's because they're 2D platformer side-scrollers. Shenmue 3 is a 3D game with a, it's not open world but you have tasks to do and things to do and you can explore and talk to all the npcs but it feels like beat for beat almost identical to those 18 year old games like right down to the voice acting the directing the conversations the script the menus the things you can do the progress and it's an extremely interesting and it's like I love it and also don't love it. Like, I'm fascinated. <laughs> I'm fascinated by it and I think it's really interesting because I kind of expected it to be not great and it's not incredible in my opinion, Shenmue 3. I think that its fall, its failing is also like the reason it should be admired. Like, yeah, it's great. You know, we've managed to replicate the 2018, the, tw the 2001 experience in 2019, but Shenmue 3 hasn't moved an inch in 18 years. And interestingly enough, Yu Suzuki has also not directed a game since Shenmue 2. So take that what you will, I think. <laughs> I don't know whether he was, yeah, just waiting on this or what. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I've always been fascinated with, with Shenmue, but I haven't been sure if I wanted to take the, the plunge with it. So as, as someone who, like, I can, like, I can handle kind of, rough writing and, and voice acting and stuff as long as the themes or um, philosophical ideas or anything like that present might be interesting. Is this a game that has, that will make you think uh, kind of critically about its characters and story? Or is it kind of just, you have to admire the tedium? Um, I think it's more admire the tedium. There's not <laughs> too many strong themes, I would say. I think the main story beats through the whole series is um Rio is on a journey to um chase a man who's murdered his father this happens at the very beginning of the game of mm -hmm. Shamu 1 and yeah. it's kind of a quest for revenge so Rio is this 17 year old um I think that's how old he is I'll probably be corrected um but um he kind of goes on this really long mundane quest of raising money to leave his hometown in Japan to get to Hong Kong and then it's more raising money to get from Aberdeen in Hong Kong to um, the other location in Shenmue 2. Um, is that so Bailu? Uh, yes, it is Bailu. Yes, thank you. Um, but um, yeah, so it, there's a there's a bit of a character study to go on with Ryo and like, why is he so het for revenge? Why is he putting so much time and effort into it? Why is it just revenge? But you don't really, other than like the reason that he wants to get revenge, there's no exploration yet three games down the line. And I like to think <laughs> that eventually that Ryo will have some introspective moments 
for the inevitable Shenmue 4 and probably 5 because that's how many games at least we're expected to get. But we don't know what's <sighs> going on. Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated situation because I think many people expected 3, many outsiders expected 3 to be the end. Yu Suzuki very plainly stated that three would not be the final game. Um, there is a it is a sixteen chapter story, and Shenmue two ended on either chapter four or five. Um, so, and we're not sure where Shenmue three ends in that so called canon. Do you feel like there's going to be? Does this game lend itself to DLC? Do you think? Uh, there is DLC. Um, I don't remember mm. what it's going to be. It's not story based. No, I would be interested though. I think that would be a really good resolution to... I mean, Shenmue 3 was a full-priced game, so I don't think it will get loads and loads of DLC. But I feel like Shenmue Shenmue being episodic would be one way to deal with the, like, gameplay or the feel of it, because that would modernise it slightly, but it would give you more bite-sized chunks of the story um, and feed it. So I I think that's a really good suggestion, actually. But yeah, I think it would work well, yeah. Yeah, I think given that that's how narrative games have been re- of recent times, you know, you can just gate off areas or things like that, which Shemu already does in certain ways. Like You have to go to one area and move the story on slightly to go to other areas, yeah. But it would be good, and it would make the story more digestible, because... Shenmue 3 in particular, like 1 and 2 are slow burns and things happen, like quite a few things happen. Maybe Shenmue 3's biggest problem for me is that nothing really happens for the game at all. You go between the village of, uh, you go from Shenmue's hometown, um, Shenmue is the girl who Ryo meets at the end of Shenmue 2, um, and then you go to Niaowu, which is a port village town in China, mainland China. Um, and between those two locations, maybe one major thing happens at the end of the game and nothing else really. So not only is this a digestible, like not, like not, it's pretty slow moving, but not, re- there's not really a lot of reward to Shenmue 3, I would say, which is a shame. But I have to wonder if it's intentional because the feel of Shenmue 3 is like, hey, you've waited 18 years for this. Here's more of the same. And we're going to tease you for the next step, so you know it's not going to be as long a wait, hopefully. But we don't know that yet. I mean, I would, I would wonder though, isn't like forklift driving its own reward, Alana? <laughs> there is forklift driving, but you don't get to do it until quite near the end. <laughs> what about cat petting? Can you pet cats? No, you can't. And I was trying to figure this out, but in Niawu, the music in this game is really beautiful. It's really peaceful and serene and... One of the things I love to do in Shenmue 3 is taking the sights because it's not really a technical masterpiece. Like, I think it looks, it definitely looks like a PS4 game. The character models are a bit wonky and the movements are a bit all over the place. Um, But the backdrops and the settings are gorgeous and the music really accompanies walking around the cities and the village very well. But in Daowu in particular, there is a cat meowing throughout the entire track, like on and off. And I was like, where's the cat? Because there's famously Mimi the cat in Shemu 1. And I was just trying to look for this cat to pet, but no, there's no cat, unfortunately. It's it's just a great big tease. I know. <laughs> but yeah, Shemu 3 is... It's super interesting because it's made for fans 
And it does that. And it delivers in that. And I think if you're a diehard Shenmue fan, I think most of them will be really happy with this because it's more of the same. And to think in 18 years we haven't really got anything else like Shenmue is kind of incredible because like, people compare it to Yakuza because of the tourism and walking around doing things aspect and I guess the combat because Shemu originally was supposed to be virtual fighter RPG basically oh um, yeah yeah um and then you've got obviously it, it pioneered quick time events so you've got that and you've got the interactive storytelling the building up relationships oh, I didn't know that actually yeah it was <laughs> possibly not the first game but one of the first it was definitely the one to popularize them um so it did a lot of things and it still retains all of that and I think it's incredible that it retains the feeling of Shemu 1 and 2. But I think Shemu yeah. 3 fails in giving fans a bit more and bit more. Like, where's that story? Why is Ryo not questioning his revenge? Shenhua feels incredibly underutilized. I think I remember back when the Kickstarter launched, I remember one of the selling points was having Shenhua to be a bit more um, involved in the story and a like you can have discussions with her and things like that and you can do that at the end of the day but most of the time she doesn't accompany you anywhere so she just feels like she's like a, she carries Rio's story basically she's just there to push Rio along so oh that's yeah. unfortunate yeah because I like her she has one interesting moment in game which is pretty funny but yeah well one question I guess I had for you with all of this as well is what iterations because they obviously had an opportunity, you know, 18 down, years down the line to bring this into the modern age and do some different changes. And like you were saying, it's great that they just kind of kept it the same to make it feel the same. And maybe that's a safe way for them to reintroduce it, see if people still like this, and maybe they'll iterate moving forward. Hmm. But what would you like to see from it? Like, what do you think would improve the experience of Shenmue? Um, gosh, it's hard because it feels so right and wrong as it is, but... Um, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what modernizations, I guess, yeah, would keep yeah. it intact? I think a more involved and a better combat system. So, Gemu 1 and 2's combat was more virtual fighter-esque. There were inputs that you could put in, and it was easy to do combos and things like that. And I think it worked for that because it was kind of on a semi-2D plane. They retain, they haven't retained the 2D plane, and they haven't retained the combat system from the first two games. And it's worse because it feels more button mashy. So, I think that Shenmue would probably interestingly do well to pull from Yakuza's combat and take some cues from some other action RPGs potentially or even just action games and like you don't want it to be stylish and flashy yeah maybe like it's interesting to have like a kung fu combat system that relies on inputs but the inputs have to be perfect and complete and it doesn't feel like a fighting game um but I think that drawing from another genre like or a game series like yakuza might benefit it the other thing are just like tiny little modernizations luckily tank controls are gone so that's good it controls a lot better but quick travel is very restrictive you can only quick travel at the end of the day and niawu in particular you get used to where everything is but niawu is quite long um and quite big so getting to places wears out your stamina and things like that so you have to keep eating food whereas quick travel would probably like cut that down a little bit that's more of a minor nitpick and skippable dialogue because you cannot skip most of the dialogue in Shenmue 3 and you can if you talk to somebody the second time by accident so if you talk to them and then press like 
confirm you want to talk to them again you can skip that but you can't skip it before and there are some really long slow cutscenes, and i think it would benefit to speed up things a little bit so if you read faster and aren't too concerned with the voice work um yeah to a degree i don't want to say too concerned with the voice work because i always respect what the voice actors do and actually the npc cast in this game are pretty good there's some really big names in it and you'll if you've played any other recent RPGs or adventure games or anything, you'll definitely be picking out a few familiar names. Um, Greg Chun, who voiced, um, interesting, the main character of Judgment, is um, a fan favourite character in this. Um, so that's a really cool reference for everybody. And Shenhua is voiced by uh, the girl who voices uh, Tita Russell in Trails of Cold Steel 3, which I found very amusing, playing the two back to back. So, yeah, because you had been heavily in that one as well. Mm, that's right. But yeah, I just think Shenmue needs to make some quick fixes, I think, um, for like to make it more accessible, I think, for people. Because I think a lot of people will come into Shenmue 1 and 2 or 3 who've never played them before and go, oh, what's this game like? And it will be hard for them to crack into it because of how slow-paced it is and how old-fashioned it feels, I guess. It's like wanting to experience a first-person shooter and going back and playing Goldeneye when you yeah. could be playing like <laughs> Halo or something, where while it pioneered it and did a good job for its time, we've we've made jumps. <laughs> yeah, I think so. so Joe, yeah. what is it about Shenmue that attracts you that had you interested in maybe wanting to check out the series? Um, well, I think the story of it is fascinating. You, you have the most expensive game um, created at its time, um and like I, I i don't know there's something that draws me to yu suzuki is kind of this uh slightly tragic figure you know this mm. yu suzuki is a genius i mean he created he created virtual fighter he was kind of a pioneer of a lot of the great sega cabinets and um and uh systems that they ran on um so he's a brilliant developer and creator um and so i i I always find myself drawn to kind of the um what might be perceived as failures of brilliant people i guess um it's kind of like brian wilson's smile i love that i love that (laughs) album (laughs) um i i'm not really entirely sure maybe i just really love tedium um (laughs) <laughs> as as evidenced by my by my positive feelings towards Death Stranding, but I I would definitely like to give it a shot someday. Maybe um maybe just to make uh, my best friend who uh, I always joke about one day we're going to play Shenmue, uh, <laughs> and they usually reply with a with a few second long groan of no please god <laughs> so <laughs> so um yeah that's that would be why i would have some interest in it i think that's good enough i think yusuzuki and the whole like the whole campaign and the whole like everything about the series is really fascinating because of just mm-hmm. how long it took them to make it and like even the kickstarter and how every, you know there was there's been controversy over it obviously because it's an epic game store exclusive at the moment so oh, yeah yeah, and there are a lot of broken promises in that Kickstarter, I will say. Um, I didn't back it because I was, I, 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 do you know what? I wasn't even aware it was a thing because the Final Fantasy VII remake got announced on the same day. So I was just like, okay, everything else is kind of a blur to me on that day. But um, <laughs> yeah, like 
I think Yuka Suzuki is a really interesting character and as you say like Virtua Fighter I grew up playing and I loved it it was really exciting and interesting and I actually played some of the arcade cabinets um and I really really liked them and I thought it was really interesting that he jumped to do this like narrative adventure potential it's not an RPG but it was trying to do some RPG stuff and then to see him lose everything because you know Jemmy 1 and 2 are the most expensive games made at the time they also you know bombed the Dreamcast and Sega basically they had to pull out of the console market because the Dreamcast sold so poorly and those games were so expensive they never made the mm. money back I don't think so you know and then the 18 year wait you know oh is there going to be an Xbox sequel is there going to be a PS3 sequel and there never was and here we are so I think I'd recommend it weirdly even though I'm always like <laughs> they're good but there's things that definitely don't work and because of how fascinating how different they are to everything like but yeah i i I don't know whether i'd say jump in now or wait until we know what's going on with the rest of the series because obviously shenmue 3 was kickstarted i'm sure shenmue 4 would be kickstarted but i highly doubt it exists in any format right now sure yeah maybe i'll give those remasters a try yeah, that's a good place to start, and I'm glad they remastered them. Yeah, it's one thing where I could use a, a touch-up, I guess. Well, and I think they're not maybe important to play, but I think for people who are curious about gaming history and where mm. a lot of origins come from, I think they're definitely useful tools for that and worth revisiting if you're just curious, as Joe is, like with the story behind them, the history that it kind of launched... I think it's worthwhile to explore these games for sure. And yeah, some people are more patient with older, more archaic gameplay mechanics than others. You know, depends on the system. Exactly. And I have a soft spot for the Dreamcast. <laughs> oh, you don't say. As many do. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. My fans have gotten, yeah. My, your Twitter my account has been outed. <laughs> well, no, your, Twitter, your Dreamcast Twitter account. All your fandom. The Dreamcast uh, was pioneering in itself, but that's a whole other episode. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I feel like there's a retro encounter for that somewhere down the line. There's already that one can exists. be visited. It already exists. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I was on it. <laughs> Were you now? Oh, uh, yeah. Shocking. I know, right? It's almost <laughs> like I talked about something in particular. Let's not do this. <laughs> uh, I actually had a copy of Shenmue for the Dreamcast in my possession uh, when Annette and I started dating, she had it from somewhere, even though she didn't have a Dreamcast. Okay. But I think it came from, I think an ex-boyfriend of hers had one, and somehow it got into her possession, and somehow, I don't know. Either way, that was kind of funny. <laughs> and um, But I did have a Dreamcast for a brief period, and I thought about getting into it, but then I was like, I have too many things, too many games, so I sold the, the Dreamcast off for a little extra coin and such, and uh, eventually parted with the Shenmue as well. Uh, but it was kind of funny that I was like, oh, I have this weird, bizarre game that I could get into. But there's the remasters and everything, and someday, if I have the time, I might go to it. Yeah, they're not going um, anywhere anymore. They're not as hard to get hold of as they used to. Yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe we can convince Solosi to do uh, a Retro Encounter episode on it. Not likely. <laughs> he won't do it, but there may be one eventually. I, I, I've, I've never um, put hands on any sega console before actually so so yeah i've yeah it so it's kind of this foreign world to me that i don't quite understand but i'm fascinated (laughs) by (laughs) 
it had some gems. I, mm. I enjoyed my Genesis back in the day. Yeah. And I've played some fun stuff on the Master System. But uh, And I did a bit of Dreamcast, but n- none of the RPGs. I do wish I had done Skies of Arcadia, though. Anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Uh, back to Weird Bizarre Games. Uh, in the backlog of RPG fans' review codes, I came across a couple of games. One that I'll talk about later when my review comes up for it. So yeah, I've been playing Cope Island uh, Adrift, I think is what it's called. Uh, made by ZDS, indie game made on RPG Maker. And yeah, as you go down the list of our old review codes, I was just kind of like, oh, this seems like it could be interesting. I'm just trying to kind of work backwards and help out a lot on the team with stuff that's kind of been shoved to the side since right now I don't have a ton of time to keep up with the latest big releases on a timely fashion. And there are people who uh, don't have families like I do and other things going on <laughs> to jump on this stuff faster than me. So I'll help out where I can. And Cope Island was a nice little surprise for me as well. It's, It seems like it's kind of trying to be in the vein of what Undertale did. Okay. Yeah, so it plays like a traditional RPG top-down. Like, it looks like an RPG maker game, but they made all their own assets and everything. So it still has its own unique identity, but it's very... Um, like foundation years of like the Super Nintendo where it still kind of looked Nintendo. Yeah. So, but it still looks good. It's effective. It brings the, the very bleak world of Cope Island to life. And, you know, given the title of Cope Island, you can probably figure out where it's going with the theming behind it. Mm-hmm. And it basically mm-hmm. is you hire this mysterious robed character. So you can identify however you want to identify uh, to represent yourself. And, you wash up on this island called Cope Island where everyone basically speaks in a lot of like really reflective, uh, um, introspective, Mm -hmm. however one speaks. It's definitely a game about coping with emotions, with life, with getting through your own personal journey. And you start out trying to journey across this island to get to uh, your demon, essentially. So it's, it feels like the developer developers, I can't I don't know how many people are on the team, but it does feel like it was a personal journey for the person making it for their own coping mechanism to kind of get out how they're feeling and to help others, I guess, translate whatever they're going through in life to let it out in the, through this game. And when you get into um, like its traditional RPG kind of combat, very similar to uh, like Dragon Quest and such, all the enemies also seem like they're kind of representations of life's own struggles and demons and stuff like that. Um, So you'll have like, you know, you'll fight like ego, you'll fight attraction, you'll fight depression, stuff like that. And they'll all kind of have move sets that feed into those themings as well. So it's like you're trying to overcome these own personal physical manifestations of your own personal obstacles to get through to the end to battle your demon and see how you do with that kind of thing. Wow. And I like that. It, it actually works out rather well. And there's other citizens, so to speak, who are around the island, and all of them have their own little reflections and journeys and kind of like what they're going through as well and feeding it into you. Some of it's just like, here's some hints about how to go through things and how to deal with the island, whereas other people okay. it's just like, I feel lost in this and that. And, you know, I don't know what it is for me. I haven't found my demon yet, but when you inevitably get to yours... It'll be what you, it'll be for you, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's all very poetic, 
but it doesn't really seem like it's doing it for its own sake. It just feels like someone was just trying to like it's like almost like you're playing someone's journal. <laughs> oh right, yeah, like in a weird way. That. Yeah, but it's effective. Like I, I was pleasantly surprised because I didn't know what to expect. Like you never know what's going to happen from an RPG maker game because anyone can kind of do anything, which is wonderful. I like the platform for it. Like this is usually the kind of stuff that Neil tackles. It is, uh, and I beat him <laughs> to the punch. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's been a, a delight to go through. Um, one thing I like about it is all the combat is is obvious. Like it's not like you see encounters moving around on the map, but they are they're milestones. So in order to get to the next step, you have to go through each encounter. It's represented by like a little flame, and it basically blocks off an area, um, the next step of the area, kind of thing. Okay, yeah. And certain paths will have a few different options, and then a harder enemy party or something might be blocking off like access to a treasure chest. Or you can go the easier route just to go on and not worry about the treasure. And there's a scoring system, but the scoring system doesn't really seem to do much, which is interesting. The game basically tells you early on, like, there's a score, but that only really means something to you. It doesn't really matter to anything else. And that's largely true. There are a few gates that are kept by the score in certain spots. Like, a treasure chest won't open unless you have, like, 2,000 score or higher. And you can also... There's a few spots where it's like, I'll do this thing for you if you give me... 250 score so there's a few spots where it kind of acts like um a bit of monetization but it's it's few and far between largely you get to the end of the game and the score is just for your own personal i feel good i beat my score (laughs) whatever so you don't need to like grind for score or anything at any point it's all doable it's all yeah um the scoring is based on the encounters and basically how quickly you get through the encounter okay so the faster you do, you get a higher score, and it's fairly easy to do that. And the encounter system I thought was really neat, because it's as much as it's set up like a traditional Dragon Quest-style battle, where uh, you know you see the enemies before you, you have yeah. your actions before you, you start out basically getting one action, and oh. you have you have like a basic attack, which will just attack something, and then you get you regenerate a little bit of hit points from it. Right. And then you have um, access to uh, weapons which are things that you randomly find in treasure chests because every time you play through the game, it's basically different. Right, so it's like a row, it's got row light elements to it. Okay. Exactly. Uh. So you, while you will, I think, encounter a lot of the same enemies, you'll find different weapons that'll make your journey easier or harder because certain enemies have different resistances to different items and weapons. Okay. So you can do the basic attack, which regenerates a bit of hit points, or you can use the weapon, which might have different effects on different enemies which is always great and it charges your your weapon skill which has access to a third menu option which is your weapon skills so for example there's like a flame sword thing that i got in one of my playthroughs and then it has a skill where like it can just do like a really hard critical hit for this expenditure of like three weapon skill points or you can do um uh, another thing where it will like hit everybody and do like a stat debuff for like two skill points and then there's stuff like that so every time so you're kind of doing this like ebb and flow management game of like choosing when to use the skill when to do the regenerate and then the last thing you have is standby which basically you take a brief break and you regenerate a chunk of your hit points which is again crucial to managing because like i said you start off with having only one action per turn so as multiple enemies wail on you you might have to be like okay i'm not going to attack this turn i just need to go on the defense and recharge my hit points and you get basically four uses of that 
because each time you use it, you only you get less and less hit points. So you're trying to weigh that, and then eventually it will regenerate if the battle goes on long enough. So it's got a neat little bit of like a tactical system to it. Yeah, that does sound and really then as interesting. You, it is. It, it kept it fresh for me because I was just like, okay, I'm just going to be going through and mashing the attack button and there we go. But no, it actually made me consider a lot of choices and weigh my options. And the enemies have some interesting stat debuffs that they can throw at you. And again, depending on the weapons you get, you might like get one that gives you regeneration or one that you can use a certain skill, but it lowers your speed. So you got to weigh like, they're going to hit me first, but I can hit them harder after. But can I survive it? A lot of stuff like that. And then as you hit certain milestones of beating some, like, I guess the more boss monsters of certain areas, you get more, unlock more attacks. So then you'll get better and have two attacks and then three. And then I think by the end of it, I think you get four. Ah. So then you can start kind of chaining different effects and going like, cool, I'll do two weapon attacks, charge my weapon skill, unleash the skill, and then go back to my basic attack or i'll take a standby and take a breath to recharge my hit points before they hit me you know stuff like that okay so i thought that was very cool and a lot of the especially the bosses have some i feel like if i recall again it's been a bit since i played it um a lot of it has like kind of a puzzly element like certain bosses again is trying to figure out what they're weak to right yeah what sort of stuff they have like and send a bit of pattern recognition like one of the early bosses on the island is like a bell toller and they'll kind of go through a chain of like one bell will do like a stat buff and then they'll give you a bit of a regeneration boost and then it'll do a bunch of damage and then something else or something like that so you kind of have to get into the flow of their pattern to get through the battle successfully mm-hmm. and then there's yeah like i said different puzzles on the island itself to go through like there was one's path it's like this is a shortcut but someone tells you this is their special flower bed and they'll be very unhappy if you walk through it <laughs> and that all kind of can weigh on you in the end kind of thing oh okay yeah because once you've basically found because you're trying to find three talismans to unlock the entrance bell take you down to fight your demon and so they go into three different kind of themed areas of the the island and then you get the talismans put them in and you can go into this underground spot that leads you to your demon to battle and then once you've completed that you're taken because i thought it was like, oh cool it was a quick little half hour 40 minute game i'm done yeah but then there's this whole like after part like a lot of um games will have uh like the unlockable content where you can go through and browse the glossary and see what all the enemies were and see like <laughs> all the different endings and stuff like that kind of i'm thinking of like the chrono trigger on the playstation yeah, yeah, yeah. But this one, you like, you get to walk around through it. That's how they kind of interpreted it for this. So your character wanders through the different areas. So you can see all the enemies you fought. You can see what weapons you found. But it also shows you what you haven't found, how much of the game you haven't completed and discovered. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Yeah, yeah and then you find out there's like these um, forbidden weapons that you can maybe find. And there's like little riddles for how to unlock them. So it has a lot more to come back to. Because then I finished and I was like, oh, well now... I want like it's it's kind of a fun completionist stream. <laughs> hmm, yeah. So I find myself now wanting to go back to it, and then when you do your second playthrough, you you start seeing it tells you there is a hidden doorway to the underground. So now you have two paths that you can take to the end of the game, which completely oh. changes the experience. And throughout the underground and the above ground, there's stairways that lead you back up and down, so you can kind of pick and choose. Because I had a few spots where I went to something and I was like, oh, you don't have the right item for this. But there was nowhere I could find it on the island. 
So okay. maybe it's something I can find down below from fighting a certain battle, and then maybe I can bring it up and unlock a different path to something. So like, there's a lot of neat stuff packed into this little seemingly simple game. And I think okay. it's very neat, and it's it's a very rewarding experience, even if you're going through some stuff. And I'm not really going through a lot, but I can identify with... I have felt like this before, and having yeah. to overcome and cope and just go like, it's all going to be okay if I just persevere. It's kind of the overall message and whatever your demon is for you whatever it represents it's for you it's no one else's journey everyone has their own journey and that's okay and i think it's really neat it does sound really fun i'm interested i'm always interested to see how roguelite stuff is implemented into turn-based rpgs and changing the map around and changing every, like what weapons you start off with um sounds like a really good way of doing it i think because some playthroughs might be harder than others, I guess. If you get particularly lucky and get a really good set of weapons and you have every boss's weakness on hand, then great. But then other times you might not have any of them. So, yeah. Yeah, because oh, yeah, that's one thing I failed to mention is you only have, uh, they don't call it lives, you have three chances to okay. go through it. And so basically if you die, you basically reset to the beginning of that area. Right. Yeah. And then it says like you have two chances left. And what's one thing is you there's these like little like checkpoints that you can spend a score on if you wanna purchase more chances. So you can keep going if you wanna give up on having a higher score. And that's again, it's all relative. It's up to you if you're willing to do that or not. And so uh that can keep you going. But yeah, if you if you die, you die. And like I've I think I've lost once because yeah, I had a couple weapons that were they were okay, but like Especially the underground. The underground is definitely harder. <laughs> so I was yeah. getting myself whacked around a lot more down there and just didn't have the weapons that were quite lining up for the weaknesses. And it's just, that was the luck of the draw for me. Even though they were cool weapons, they just weren't working for what I was doing. So it's either, well, should I bite the bullet and go back up top and try and experience what I've already experienced with a bit of what I've done in the underground? Or tough it out and try another playthrough down below, you know? It's it's interesting. Sounds really different, yeah. It's. I'm glad that, um, and it seems like over the past couple of years, this has been happening more and more, but that games are more confident and uh, less afraid to talk about these issues like uh, depression and different um, necessities for coping. You know, when I think about um, the game Grease that came out last year or Celeste, um, yes. you know, it's, it's really great to see that... Um, that games are tackling these subjects and I think they're all the better for it. And they might be the best, um, they might be the best form of art, uh, the form of art best suited to tackle these. Um, of course, like it can be done, it can be done poorly, but I think at their best video games have the best potential to um, provide kind of these glimpses of empathy generation in it. Yeah, because you can take ownership of it instead of just passively sitting back and watching a film where you see somebody else deal with it and it might be similar to your journey and your choices or it might not be. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like film is a great art form for it too, reading books is. But again, when you have something like this that lets you take control a bit more, yeah, it feels more your own process, which was delightful even in Undertale. And I feel like I experienced like Cope Island probably, I don't, I don't know if it came out. It definitely hasn't come out at the same time, but Undertale has just been such a, a darling and has taken over in that regard for its mm -hmm. uh, very avant-garde approach to 
combat and feelings and uh, inclusivity and everything that something like this might get lost. But I definitely encourage people who like that sort of game to look at Cope Island Adrift to tackle these themes. Because, yeah, like you said, it's a great medium for it. And it's so easy to look at video games as a distraction, which is great. You do what you need to do to deal with your feelings, to deal with life. Some people just want to come home and detach, and that's totally fine. I mean, I definitely encourage everyone to talk about their feelings with somebody and work through it, because we can't all be band-aided masses of feelings that are just waiting to explode at the wrong trigger. But uh, if you want to experience a healthy way to work through it and see someone else's journey as well, because again, like I said, I feel like this is a very personal expression for this developer to uh, get through their own whatever, then yeah, this is a great game for that. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us, Greg. Yeah, I'm really, really interested in it now. I think more games... Joe hit a really good point in that I think that I think it's more smaller developers are starting to push the boundaries in what you can do and discuss with mental health or anything like that. And I think they're all extremely good at doing it. Stardew Valley is another really excellent example of teaching you how to empathize with uh, people and with everybody. And everybody's got redeeming qualities and every single member of Pelican Town is going through some kind of terrible thing or is trying to push something in the past. And it teaches you how to recover and heal with them and make friends and and really loving this kind of like surge of games that are sensitive and they don't need to deal with oh let's save the world things like that and it's dealing with like no like look after yourself is a really important message that i think we're really getting better at telling in video games well self-care is so important it's something i feel that unfortunately generations prior to ours weren't discouraged from they were just push 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 earn 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 work 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 and it's easy for them to look at you know our generations now and say like oh they're just apathetic and too sensitive and touchy-feely and it's just like no we're just learning to say no and we're learning to take ownership of our own emotions and feelings and people all have different opinions of that and i respect that and that's what i feel is why indie developers can get away with this too because unfortunately double a AA and triple a developers there's a sure bet that they have to have and the big feeling games may not land for them when they invest millions of dollars into feeling simulator 2020 <laughs> you know so unfortunately as much as like yeah, there's a lot of great games like that deal with emotions but they can be pushed aside in favor of the complex gameplay and graphics and this and that so indie developers are forced to work with less so they have to do something i think that can stand out and these experiences do stand out for sure anyways but yeah i the segueing i have to figure out how i want to segue out of this (laughs) (laughs) we need to shield ourselves from our emotions so (laughs) do we or do we need to confront them with a sword yes so, um, yes, yeah. exactly. That is it, Joe. Thank you so much, fans, for listening. There's no other <laughs> games to talk about. I'm kidding. Pokemon came out. Alana was talking about that. So, obviously, we're going to talk about it. Sword and Shield dropped two weeks ago now. I didn't get into it as early as everybody else because uh, Disney was a little bit of a priority for us. And as much as I wanted to be on it at the entrance, I didn't get to play it until I was on the plane home. But Alana, Joe, and a lot of the team jumped on it right away. We had a Mm -hmm. nice feature that shared our thoughts about it since we didn't have a review copy to get out the gate. 
but Joe Shop's review did just go live yesterday, today? Yesterday, as of recording, yes. Yesterday, as of recording, so you can check out his thoughts on it. He's, yeah, I'll talk about that all in the beginning. But what are your two thoughts on it, since you've had a lot more time with it than me, and I'll get into my experience in a bit. Uh, well, you want to go first? It's been a weird generation. Um, <laughs> I have beaten the game, so I have done the championship. I haven't done the post-game yet, because I like breeding and catching lots of Pokemon. But That's the end game. It is completely the end game. Although there are other things that other people... I've never been into competitive, and I've never been into like breeding the perfect pokemon really is just about completing my decks and making lots of friends and making cory for my little dragapult so you know that's where we are at the moment but um sword and shield are as good as any other pokemon game at the base like i really enjoyed galar and in particular in the feature i focused a lot on galar as a region because i do think had it been i didn't say this specifically had galar been bigger like it looks big but it's not as big as I think I need it to be or want it to be. It would have been incredible. And I love how it references England. It's very jokey with all its English tropes, you know, oh, we all drink tea and, you know, all say mum with a U and oh, crumbs, I lost this gym battle. That's not good, is it? <laughs> um, and the football focus, obviously, soccer for everybody else. Um, but in like the sports stadiums, it's all great. Like Sword and Shield are all really positive experiences and actually just sitting down to play it with my friends is one of the best things about it because it's one of the few games that all of us get at the same time and it's one of the few games we can all sit down play it together in the same room on the TV, on the handheld and just talk about our experiences and it's the one game where we can all universally share all the stupid things that we do like the stupid nicknames we give our Pokemon or oh I caught this one and oh I got shiny and things like that um but it, it's been joyful to play it this time. But my difficulty with Sword and Shield, I don't know if it's enough from Sun and Moon. Sun and Moon made a lot of innovations and Sword and Shield carries those over. But Galar and Sword and Shield, they're, they're Switch games. And I don't think they would feel out of place on a 3DS. Other than the graphical upgrades and I think Gigantamaxing. But the f- it, it doesn't feel like a huge jump. And I don't know whether I was expecting a huge jump. It's difficult because I'm still processing how I feel about Sword and Shield. Like, it's weird because Pokemon... I love Pokemon and I love Sword and Shield. And even an average Pokemon game is a good game. But I'm still kind of in that honeymoon period where I've loved a lot of stuff. But I'm still trying to process all my feelings and about the whole thing. It's been unusual but like it's not negative and i hope like maybe talking with you two might bring some stuff out or something because i'm still kind of in the middle like i love it but i'm also disappointed in some aspects i would say like i'm kind of mixed because i love it and just have some issues and i'm still processing how i feel about sword and shield overall and i'm just hoping that maybe i don't know obviously greg i know you're a lot earlier than us because you got to the game a little bit later there's like a weird joy about Pokemon that I love and I will always come out of the other end and think, oh my god, I'm so glad I played that. I'm going to play it for 50 hours more, 100 hours more. It's one of the only games I can do that with. <laughs> um, but like, I would be interested to see what everybody's thoughts are because, yeah, I just, I think my main issue is that it doesn't feel like enough of a jump between Generation 7 and Generation 8 
for me, especially because it's a leap from a handheld console to a console, if that makes sense. It does, and that's largely what Joe's reviews seem to say as well. Mm. And I'm seeing a bit of that. Uh, like I've only just defeated Milo from the uh, the Leaf Gym, Grass yes. Gym, rather. Um, <laughs> which, uh, in my mind, I be- uh, what's the actor's name? The actor that played Wheatley in Portal Two. Oh, Stephen oh, Merchant. Yeah, yeah. I I hear his voice for for Milo's voice. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> see it. That is interesting. Yeah, like physically they don't match up, but like he just seems like, oh, hello there. Uh, come <laughs> come point me in my uh, my crush gym. You know, whatever. A terrible <laughs> rendition of his accent. I thought I thought we said we weren't doing British accents today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lana. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> wait, 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 what? Sorry. <laughs> hey, I was attacking you, not Alana. <laughs> I, I twisted it. Deflect yeah. blame is the Canadian thing to do. I don't know. <laughs> But you're but... right, like, you point that out, voice acting is a massive thing that's missing, and it feels weird this time, for the first time. Yeah, like, it's it's not make or break for me, but it, no. it, there's a part of me that kind of wanted it, especially for a game. Yeah, that's such a different world, I feel like it would have lent to it, but I also can see that maybe they're trying to keep budgets to a minimum after putting so much into elevating the production value of the game as a whole. Yeah. And that seems to be largely what was focused on, uh, as you were saying, and what Joe was saying, because there's a, a definite bump up in the quality of the world, how big it is, how lush and vibrant all the Pokemon designs are, and your characters, how they move, everything. Music is great. Uh, I'm in love yeah. with the UI myself. I think the UI is fantastic. I didn't play Sun and Moon. I imagine it's similar in some ways, like they iterated on that and kept it going. Yeah, pretty much. But I just love how everything's very clean and clear and crisp. The, you know, once you've discovered a Pokemon, it'll tell you, like, this thing is effective, not effective, super effective. All the information is much more accessible and a lot less cumbersome. Mm. That being said, I am annoyed whenever I do, like, the online function to, like, I want to trade cards, for example. And then finally I get a card swap and then it cancels. I have to go Mm. back into that menu to start searching again. I think it would have been great if they just prompted you, like, do you want to search for more after you got it, as opposed to having to go back in and restart the process. Just that extra two or three steps could have been cut out a little smarter, but small triflings of saving me 30 seconds or whatever. (laughs) Obviously, that all adds up, and it's a hindrance, but it's not the end of the world. And uh, you can see how it is very, not railroady, but like everything feels very handed to you. Yeah. It's less so than other gens, I think, but... Okay, I don't I remember mean, it being I'll... like that yeah. in X and Y, but... X and Y was weird. I feel like... I mean, X and Y suffer in other ways, personally, but... I yeah. don't really... Yeah, I don't really remember too much about the beginning of the game, but I feel like X and Y was maybe a little bit more handholdy, and especially because I think it was one of the first... It was either X and Y or Sun and Moon that introduced the is this attack effective or not kind of thing. They, like, previous games didn't tell you that. I think it was X and Y, or sorry, um, Sun and Moon, I think, started yeah. doing that in the uh, the prompting and such. But okay. X and Y introduced, uh, yeah, a bit of a new cleaner UI, for sure, especially having the two screens to work yeah. with, similar to, like, it just kind of refined what Black and White had done on the DS. And um, with this one, though, yeah, everything seems very handed to you and obvious, but I do like also that there's a lot of stuff to find. I think that's fun. Like, exploration is very well rewarded. Mm. poking around in little corners and stuff and obviously you got a bit of that back in the day too but it wasn't as 
like I think it was only just like you would find little pokeballs when I got those little twinkling bits that you're just like oh I didn't catch that but I'm glad I was looking and now I found like some stardust or I found a few heels or whatever but there is a lot of like very conveniently placed like oh me and my sister are just standing here by this mine letting you heal your pokemon (laughs) cool whereas it saves you running all the way back to town or stocking up on stuff uh so there's that Uh, as always money doesn't come as readily so far that i've seen but again if i'm wandering around the wild area more maybe i'll find more stuff yeah the wild area is a bounty for money you get a lot of a lot of npcs give you items that you can sell and we're talking items that sell for probably three four five thousand poke dollars up nice poke dollars (laughs) (laughs) i uh also think that basically what this game is doing is just them i find pokemon has always been sort of similar to the development process of like final fantasy where each generation they try and iterate it a bit and try some new stuff and see what lands and what doesn't like small refinements that are unique to that version but fundamentally a lot of it's still the same mm-hmm. i mean final fantasy definitely has pushed those boundaries more uh, i would argue but i feel like they always have like some new gimmick they're just trying to see what sticks and if they can try it out in a different way or not kind of thing in future generations or not. So I am hoping, like what you've said with Joe's um, chop said in his review, that this is just going to be a launch point for future yeah, generations. I think so. And that's the same issue I think I had with X and Y, is that it felt like a bridge game, because Sun and Moon are superior to me. And even Black and White, I prefer to Diamond and Pearl. And... Those predecessors are all the first games on that system. Again, I love them all, but I just have more nitpicks that add up on those ones than I do with the um, follow-up. So, yeah, I think Sun and Moon, uh, Sword and Shield are definitely like bridge games, like Generation 9 or the third game will be the one that goes, oh, here we go, we've like got it, we've nailed it. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because it almost makes consumers want to be wary and be like, maybe I'll just hold off for a couple more generations and let them perfect this. But at the same time, you're like, you want to be in on the craze of it and the trading and hmm. everything like that, too. So it's it's hard to stay away from. But I don't know. I'm so far enjoying it, but I can see where it is very simple. And that's also begs the big question, too. A lot of us have these criticisms, like the story is simple. The gameplay is easy. Uh, it's this world's a bit too small we're also in our 30s you know uh and mid-20s like we? gwen will probably have a very different experience like gwen still hasn't even finished sun and moon because she has struggled with a few battles because yeah. you know she started playing that when she was six seven eight and doesn't have the grasp so yeah with with gwen and with kids i think it'll be a very different outlook on the game as a whole and we'll see the experience very differently which is you know i know fans of our web fans of our podcast were possibly hoping this would be another episode with Gwen on it, seeing as it's Pokemon. <laughs> and I was really hoping to get her on, but she's in school. This is school hours. So unfortunately taking her out of school just to be on a podcast does not count. Uh, <laughs> she missed a bunch to her Disneyland as it was. So uh, I would like to get her on another time when we do record in the evening or on a weekend though, because she'll have thoughts, but she's also not that far in. Cause again, we are away. So she's gotten yeah. to it later as well. I, imagining her dad picked up sword at launch because i thought he was intent on doing it but she's been playing a bit of shield so i'm not sure how far along she is anyways so she was roughly keeping pace with me so we shall see but she hasn't played it since we got back home yet uh since she's come back over to our house yet so she's i think only just got registered at the the main place in uh, moto 
Motorstoke. 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 Yeah. So, we shall see where she's at. Uh, but I'm excited to trade with her and all that sort of stuff. Uh, what starters did you both go with? Score bunny. Nice. Oh, Sobble. Ditto. Sobble was the one for me as well. Uh, my best friend. My babies. Yeah, well, you know, he's, he needs to be protected. That's why we went shield. He's definitely not a Croy baby when he evolves. No, God. he becomes an emo yeah. teenager. N- no, then, he becomes a spy. Yeah, he becomes... Oh, the final version? Comes, oh, like, yes. Salamander James Bond. Slick. It is, li- it is literally Gex. Yeah, oh, oh my god. Yes. I hadn't thought about that. Oh no, it I is Gex. I thought about that game for years. <laughs> There you go. Well, it's funny, my best friend, Pat, was just launching up his game, and I was on the phone with him, and he was just getting started and, and picking his starters, and he was just kind of like, well, I think the monkey's out, but uh, I'm not sure Aww. between um, Score Bunny or Sobble, and he was kind of weighing back and forth, and I was like, well, Pat, here's the thing, consider this, if you do go with uh, Grookey, it you'll have that grass monkey, that funky monkey. And he's like, he's like, oh man, he's like, you just, you just sold Done. it. That's it. Done. Uh... He's like the dark horse. So now he has grass monkey, that funky monkey going through Galar. And, uh, he's, I think going to hopefully name all his Pokemon, uh, as best he can to Beastie Boy references, apparently. Oh no. We'll see how that goes. Can, Which can brings you... up uh, 400 you're... Beastie Boy references. Like... Right. Oh yeah. Towards, towards the 300s, 300s, you're really going to have to start kind of scraping the bottle of the barrel and right. you're going to have a Pokemon called like five burrows and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> it Trilba. just depends on how far he wants to go with uh, collecting as well. Like um, he's always a pretty, I'd be, I'll be shocked if he play, if he finishes it because he is not a completionist ever. It's always been frustrating, <laughs> but <laughs> for me if as he a gets, friend. If he gets a Garbodor though, he has to call it Hello Nasty. Yes! I hope so. Yes! I will be, yeah, I'm curious to see how that goes. Which begs the question, like, what is your naming conventions for you two? None. Just whatever strikes you at the time? I don't don't nickname them. You monster! No, (laughs) I... They're just things to you? No, I just like... I I, I guess that's kind of weird, but I just like their, their names, so I can be like, go, score bunny, or go... Uh, Dragapult, go Corsola. I don't know. I, I no, don't actually, I appreciate them. that. No worries. Yeah. Do you have any fun naming conventions, Alana? So, I this generation, I decided I was going to name everything after food. Everything. <laughs> food or drinks. So the starters are all named after tea. So we've got Peppermint, the Sobble. I have Chamomile, the Score Bunny, and my Grookey will be called Matcha. Um, I buy it. So cute. And then we have silly names. One of my, I this came from a joke because I accidentally for four gens gave all the lizard Pokemon food names. So I had a crocodile in Gen five called Crumpet, and then (laughs) I had a Heliolisk from Gen six called Custard, and then Salazzle is called Licorice. So I thought, let's just do it for everything. My favorite nickname this gen so far has got to be my Dragapult, who is called Noodle because he's got a big. Oh. She's got a big noodly tail. She's oh. so Dragapult is so adorable and so goofy, I and look I love to the little. It. Yeah, it's really fun. It's this generation's pseudo legendary, so um, oh, very it's cool. pretty fantastic. It's pretty hard to get hold of, but it's worth it. 
So far, the hardest one for me to capture was Wobbuffet. I like Wobbuffet threw so many nightmare. stupid Pokeballs at that thing last night, but I finally got it. Yay. I, lo- I love the Wobs. Yes, me too. Yep. <laughs> I haven't had anything too crazy for my names. I, I went, my Sobble's name was Samson. I just want, I just like the vibe of Samson Sobble. And then it just made me want to have everything like pretty much an alliteration. So I've just yeah. kind of kept running with that. So I have like, you know, Jolie, Joltik, um, what's my, my Mudbray? I've got like Mortimer Mudbray, <laughs> you know, just stuff like silly, dumb things like that. And sometimes they, they kind of work and sometimes they don't. I've got Gruffles the Growlithe. And just cute things like that. Uh, and yeah, sometimes it's very cute. Sometimes it's just very like mundane. Uh, like, you know, I was like, like, who else have I got? Oh, my, my Yamper's name uh, was Yeller, which comes with its own baggage. <laughs> if anyone has seen the film uh, back in the day. And uh, yeah, I got, oh, and I got my first shiny I've ever gotten, which is uh, Rudy. I can't believe, yeah, I can't believe this. Oh my God. Aww. Oh, I wonder what a sh- I wonder what uh, its final evolution looks like. Shiny. I'm looking very, forward to it. Yeah, it's very cool. I've seen it, but I don't have one. Rookie D's cute and gold, and then now I've got the it upgraded to Corva Squire, and it's all <laughs> shiny and silver. So yeah, I'm wondering if the Corvanite will be gold again, or if it'll be silver, or what the deal is. So I'm excited for that. But I've never gotten a shiny before, so that was kind of fun. I've got Damn. Wilbur Wulu. Wilbur Wulu is one of my favorites too. Nice. <laughs> so I've just kind of been running with that. Um, but yeah, we haven't really gotten to your thoughts, Joe. What have you been? What's your experience so far with Shield? Um, it's it's probably my it's probably my least favorite in the series, but I still enjoy it quite a lot. Um, so in terms of background stuff, I do like competitive battling stuff, tournaments, etc. Um, and um, I've um so come kind of coming at it from that perspective um the 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 poke the whole pokedex thing like the whole dexit controversy is really annoying but i will say that there are like my top five my top five pokemon of all time all aren't in this game which kind of sucks um and it kind of limits the options for monotype teams. Like I run mono fairy type teams, but um, so it kind of limits that, but um, the, the Dynamaxing and Gigantamaxing, I'm not sold on it yet. Um, it's, it feels kind of, it feels kind of weird and hollow. I think it's, um, I think it's kind of the, the, how there's that sort of sinister swirl above the pokemon when they do it though i think is cool um also during the gym battles when the gym leaders last pokemon dynamaxes have either y'all noticed the like how weird the music gets i love it it's the crowd chant in time with the music and i adore it it is that eh? yeah i thought so it's really neat but it's not quite like like it sounds kind it sounds just slightly off (laughs) <laughs> like it sounds slightly off key and it sounds it just reminds me of like something from the near soundtrack or something <laughs> in, oh, in kind of like yeah. a little terrifying way um so i um i i felt like the early towns in the game were a bit hollow they yeah. didn't feel like they had much personality and such as the game goes on though um and you get to um 
some other places like the um i can't remember tang the tangle <laughs> forest i can't oh, remember oh tangle with the tangle would gleam and yes. tangle, yeah and then ballonella which is the fairy yes. type gym that's incredible isn't it i think stolen yes. side was my moment with like the market town and then you go through the forest and they do start to get really interesting but yeah i agree i think yeah. it starts off slow yeah early on it didn't really feel like it had much of an identity to it um but it develops that a bit and yeah of course this the story is bog standard nothing i've never seen a pokemon story that's been as good as like as the the black and the black and white and black two white two yeah uh, games that so, seems to be the standard i'm seeing yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah a lot of ba- a lot of bad designs in gen 5 in my opinion <laughs> um but but really great story and um some really great battle mechanics so i i like it i like it a lot and i'll be you know i'm already working on my team and i'm kind of half having to get away from monotype stuff because of the reduced pokedex and um and that's that's all right because i'm I'm kind of getting Pokemon competitive ready that I haven't before, like Flygon. Um, oh, cool! So it's um, pushing you out of your comfort zone. Yeah, which is which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's cool to it's cool for me to not fall back on Pokemon that I always have in the games, like um, like a Dragonite that I've had for like ten years that I've just <laughs> kept transferring from game to game because it's so good. <laughs> which I think is a very cool thing that you can literally yeah. grow up with your pokemon but again yeah. it's well it's unfortunate to lose that it is kind of neat that you yeah have you're starting out with other stuff that you've never really given a second look to because you've been so much with your comfort zone yeah so i mean overall if that overall, makes sense. like a, yeah no totally i mean so overall like i really like the games it's probably the eighth gen, you know, these games are probably my least favorite in the mainline series so far. Um, but, but I, I love Pokemon so much that it's still, it's still a great time. It's one of yeah. those things where you don't want to say you have a favorite child, but you could if you had to, but even still, you like them all. <laughs> yeah, I like them all. I got to catch them all. Um, but also HeartGold Soulfelder. Yep. <laughs> all day, every day. The platonic, the, the platonic ideal right <laughs> i love uh the identity of the language though like even though there isn't any voice work it's still very clear the through the, the text and everything that this is yeah know, in, uh, the queen's english speaking okay. the speaking the queen, the correct. <laughs> it's it, it's so weird though that at, at a time when even dragon quest uh is having voice is having voice work in its game that pokemon is still holding all the voice actors are busy doing the pokemon voices not the actual yeah yeah i also find it really funny that pikachu and eevee are like and meowth are the only three pokemon that have cries that match their cartoon equivalent Mm -hmm. and all the others just have the like blips and and i also find it interesting too that (laughs) uh, there's no voice acting you couldn't name hop to have your rival's name anymore which i don't think you could do in sun and moon either could you yeah, you couldn't do it in X and Y either. You've oh, yeah, been able right. to do it for a few gens. Yeah, and I'm yeah. wondering if that's... Because you've got three rivals in X and Y. Yeah, and I'm also wondering if that also feeds into the show. Like, they want to keep 
the parallel a lot stronger as opposed to getting kids i know i don't think they would be confused since they're the ones who changed the name but it's just i miss the days of battling my best friend pat you know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't think hop is in the anime yet actually oh, really? so maybe he will be eventually yeah wouldn't be surprised i think the sword and shield equivalent anime which i don't think is sword and shield yet um has only just started airing in japan so i guess we'll find out yeah exactly one thing i was going to say that uh, i was i really enjoyed it, it kind of hit me when i was playing yesterday at one point i like how all the encounters all the random encounters kind of started with a very brief who's that pokemon kind of moment <laughs> where they're like just the silhouette yeah. and you're like oh it's gonna be a wooloo uh, I don't know what this one is, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and I think it's really cool. I don't know if it, yeah. I can't remember if it did that in X and Y and such. Uh, but it wasn't it's something I've, maybe it did start in the 3D ones. I can't remember, but I do like how there's that little kind of fun tie-in of that. It's a nice nod. Yeah, I like as well how we have this balance between, like, you know, everyone was a bit worried that, because um, Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee didn't have random encounters. And actually their sword and shield don't have random encounters either but they have the overworld encounters and also they have the little exclamation marks that pop up but you still have to go over to it or that has to come to you it's not just like a random you're attacked kind of thing you still see the exclamation mark pop up it's just random what it could be yeah exactly yeah you could you don't see it until you're in the combat yeah so there's still a mix of that excitement i don't know i think the new I think this happy medium of the combat convention is great, and I would like to see it yeah. evolve in this direction. I think it's neat. Uh, it can be annoying being chased by Pokemon sometimes, but when you're just like, I don't want to encounter <laughs> you, I want the, the exclamation mark. Get but, away from me. But do you But do you not enjoy being chased by eight feral beewares at all? Like, that's so fun. <laughs> really? There's this tiny island in the middle of the wild area, and there are like eight beewares, and every single time they single me out, and I'm like, no, please don't. And they just chase me, and I'm like, I'm going on the water now. So I go on the water on my bike, and they have to stop. So I'm like, mm. <laughs> but it's so fun. It's like Xenoblade. My favorite thing about Xenoblade is going up to level 80 monsters at level 10 and dying. This is very similar in the wild area, just antagonizing all the high level just Pokemon. Just kiting them around. Just being like, bye. <laughs> yeah. Have either of you done the Pokeball Plus thing yet, where you take a Pokemon with you? No. No, I don't have one. Mm-mm. I have one from. Pikachu and Eevee, and I wanted to do it, but I realized it was dead, so I want to try it again. I was just curious. I'm like, uh, Your Pokemon was dead? Yes. No. The, the Pokeball was dead. It needs to be charged, which my brain obviously was like, right, that's a thing, because it hasn't been used in ages, so it does need to be recharged. <laughs> so I want to give that a shot if it's kind of like a step counter thing, and if it gets experience or something while you're taking it with you. Because I know part of it is it can find random items, I guess, while you're out and about. I'm just wondering if it just does that the longer you're out, if you get better items or what the deal is. I was curious if anyone has explored that yet. But at any rate, it's even for Pokemon, even if it's a quote unquote bad Pokemon, it's still good Pokemon and it's still a good game. And yeah. I'm glad. Well, if they, they have room to grow. I'm very grateful for the team, for the work they put in, that they pushed through a lot of the negative Absolutely. press that was coming up at the beginning and that they have largely a good success because it's being well regarded Pretty much at every outlet. Oh yeah, it's still a wonderful game. Yeah. It's definitely not a bad Pokemon at all. But like, we nitpick because we love and we want to see this series grow. But obviously, it has to cater to a number of different audiences. And Game Freak, as popular as they are, and you know, Pokemon is the biggest media franchise in the world. You've got to think like it makes most of its money off of the merchandise, the cards, the toys, the TV mm-hmm. show, and things like that. 
But Game Freak are not a huge studio. They're not, like, you know, they're part of the Pokemon company Nintendo, but they're not experienced at making these console games. Like, Little Town Hero, obviously, it was a bit of a disappointment that they came out mm-hmm. um, in October. Um, and I think it shows a bit of their inexperience, but, like, they're still hot in this game. Like, Sun- Sword and Shield... I keep, why do I keep my gens mixed up? Sword and Shield are still extremely good. Like... I still love them. I think the new Pokemon are all brilliant. I I don't dislike any of them, even the fossils. I've got a special place for those scary little mixtures. Oh they are my God. they are they are certainly an idea, and I love the concept behind them. Uh, um, just, <laughs> Alana, they got walloped with the ugly stick, though. Like, <laughs> oh my God, they did. Yeah, I feel so bad for them. It's it's definitely a challenge, I'd say, for as they continue growing the series to keep making interesting, new, unique, exciting Pokemon. Like, my Yamper just evolved into Boltund, and there's a lot of things I like about Aww. it, but at the same time, there's things about it, it's just, like, it kind of looks like Usain Aww. Bolt as a dog, and, like, just, like, wearing, like, it's like a dog wearing a tracksuit kind of thing. It's interesting. Yeah, Bolt, yeah, Boltund reminds me of Bolt from the Disney film. Yeah, I see that, too. <laughs> and so there's parts of it I like, and parts of it I'm like, Ugh, but, like, again, like, they, they are, they're trying to make it not be just straight up an animal with some different colors right like so they have to innovate here and there and sometimes yeah. a hit sometimes a miss but i still love it i love his endearing eyes he looks so goofy but yeah. at any rate they can they can move away from electric dogs because you know they had they've had lux they've had lux ray they've had manectric <sighs> right they have boltons yeah no one will ever beat lux ray either lux ray is a, is a uh yeah well manectric manectric already beats lux ray so it's all good no <laughs> Love Luxray. Manic Trick is cool as well. <laughs> I enjoy Yamper. I just want to pat its wiggly little butt. I know. I mean, I love dogs anyway, so this is an easy win for me. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I enjoy like the interaction with some of the other players. Uh, I haven't done a lot of it with any of the team in trading, and I'm really excited to get into that. I just haven't had the spare time when mm. everyone else has been online. But I like doing the joint camping i think that's kind of neat i've seen that with a little bit of i don't know if it's npcs or like when you're online if they're on along the trail anyways they're npcs, they are NPCs. on the okay. trail yeah later on you can use them as flight points so you can use the corvanite taxi to fly to a oh, route cool. so yeah it's really useful and but it's a nice taste of what that is so that's cool and it's <laughs> it's kind of funny when like when your pokemon comes up it's like i'm afraid of this trainer <laughs> you're like oh what did they do to you like <laughs> Don't be afraid of the trainers. They're nice. Uh, also, I got to <laughs> say, I so far my favorite trainers are the two Poke Kids. They're just so cute how they Aww. animate in the background. The little Eevee kid wiggling her Eevee tail. And then she like howls like an Eevee when she like commands it to move. <laughs> and it's the cutest thing. And like yeah. the uh, Poke Kid in the Pikachu suit tries to like imitate the po- Pikachu's like Thunderbolt attack motion. I think those <laughs> little touches are really nice. It's cool seeing the trainers in the background. I think that's very cool too. Anyways, it's a very neat game yeah. and I'm excited to explore more of it. But uh, moving along from this, because I know uh, Joe's got some Thanksgiving plans to run off to. I don't want to keep you too much longer, my good friend. uh, But I appreciate your insight (laughs) on this. And I look forward to trading with you both. And uh, give me some updated um, lead card codes, please. Oh, yes. I've redone mine. I have made me look like me. So I'm very happy right now. Yeah. (laughs) Mine is basically doing a a JoJo pose. Like from (laughs) JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. (laughs) Are you, either of you, um, what's your, your uniform of choice? Have you stayed with the, the classic or have you, do you have a, fa- uh, a team favorite or like a, not a team favorite, a, a type favorite that you've gone to? 
Um, oh. Mine stayed classic, but it's only because I haven't figured out how to put on the fairy one yet. <laughs> yeah, you can't wear them in gym battles. You have to stay classic for gym battles, unfortunately. Oh, well, what's the point? There's no... They're just costumes. <laughs> so you can just wear them in the, the fairy... world, but not in the actual gym yeah. battle. Yeah. That's strange. Yeah. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed. I think that... And I'd love to be able to change my bike uniform as well. You could change the colours of them, but I wish you could pick your own bike uniform, because... Yeah. I'm I'm just picky. I like fashion. I like to dress characters up and spend money on clothes. And they've got so. definitely a lot of choices in this one, which is great. But we want There's more. so much. I've spent so much money on clothes. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's okay. At least it's fake Poké Dollars and not real money. You can get your, your spend uh, spending out in digital money and not cry about your bank account as much exactly uh we don't have really any fan questions uh there was a fun discussion going on in discord though about um kind of like the walking sim and how people kind of complain about that but at the same time is it worthwhile putting combat into those games if there's really like kind of like no point to it kind of thing like you know like there's a bit there's a bit of combat in death stranding isn't there yeah yeah it definitely is a combat system it's kind of it's kind of like a simplified like batman arkham style and do you feel it's rewarding does it serve the gameplay and the story or do you feel like they just kind of put it in because like we just need to have combat because that's what people want um i mean it's it does serve a a kind of narrative function you can participate in combat i avoided it as much as possible though because like my character is a, a porter he he doesn't he doesn't fight he doesn't you know I tried to avoid shooting guns or anything like that because that's just not who my character is. He repeatedly just says, I'm a porter. So I decided to play him like that. I like um, that role-playing element. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a role-playing game. Yeah. But that's great. Like It's good that... <laughs> you play a role. <laughs> a game, you play a role. And I like that it doesn't uh, encourage or discourage it either way but i'm glad that it feeds into the narrative as opposed to yeah just them trying to appease people who want action in the game for action's sake because mm. yeah like if there's no tangible reward would be it experience character growth or uh that it's you know makes it's a necessary part of making the game fun then like there's really no point in having soulless combat as i was kind of talking about on the discord with these folks like i'm uh, i don't know how do you feel about that yourself alana um yeah, I think I'm with you. I don't want combat in a game if it doesn't need it. Like, there's things like Firewatch and things, like heavily narrative-driven stories that they don't really have any... It's all pretty linear. Like, Firewatch, if anyone's played it, um, very much plays out its story and sequence, and you don't... There's no fighting, there's no anything. There's no enemies to fight anyway. It's just a man and a woman and their struggles together and their conversations over a phone and you walk and you do things and you pick things up and you go back or things like everybody's gone to the rapture or other games like that they stand alone because they're like they, everything else is so strong like i don't need combat if i don't need if it's not necessary like sometimes it's a hindrance like you know why stick something in there if it works without that yeah because it just feels like they're just trying to pad the experience out at that point, just yeah. because they don't I, feel the rest of it holds up, I guess. Yeah, I actually did not know there was combat in Death Stranding, so I learned something. <laughs> yeah, for the most for the most part, you can ignore it. It's only when I think oh. the game kind of betrays its mechanics when you have to do it. So okay, right, but, yeah, because it didn't strike me as a game that 
should or does need it. Like there's bits where you like when in the trailers where you're sneaking past things, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, but if there are parts where you have to fight, then people people right. want your be interesting to see. Okay, people want, people they, want the baby. They, they do, and it's ridiculous. That's that is that is all I will say about it because the oh. the, the the most rock dumb ridiculous part of the game is the people who want the packages won't go into it but okay i'm excited to hear more about that uh on another (laughs) when we're not trying to be spoiler free uh at any rate fans of rpg fan thank you so much for continuing to be our fans and listening to our podcasts uh we have many of them uh i was remiss last time i forgot to shout those out because i was just trying to wrap things up really quickly but i do want to say Uh, you like hearing about old games or cool gaming conventions that we've explored over the years, go listen to Retro Encounter. Uh, Mike Solosi hosts that more often than not, and if not, there's other people coming in to uh, help him out when uh, he doesn't have the time to play 60 million games, but sometimes he just powers through it all. But there's a lot of great uh, game journals, and there's some quiz shows. Uh, Is there another one coming up, or just went through? I forget now. Uh, second quiz show will probably be out by the time either just after this goes live or just before and I definitely make an idiot of myself on it <laughs> so you've got that to look forward to both Alana being uh, a dope and uh, for all the fun questions he throws at us I'm kidding Alana you're lovely you probably don't make an idiot of yourself and I'm glad that fell flat that was great uh, super confident of you. <laughs> no, yep, no exactly. I was laughing it was just a quiet laugh okay I'm glad. I was like, because you're not. You're wonderful. Also, we have uh, May It Rest for the moment, but hopefully we'll rise from the ashes <laughs> once more. Rhythm Encounter. Uh, and uh, that's out there as well. So you've got some choices in your podcast consumption. And also, I should probably mention, once again, our partnership with Phoenix Edge RPG Podcast. Similar to us, but they definitely explore a lot more of the news and stuff going on than uh, we explore here uh, at Random Encounter. So it's nice that we have, like, these four big podcasts that kind of all cover different things. And I mean, I like the Phoenix I just hear now because it takes a lot of stress off me because I keep wanting to find ways to inject the news. And now I'm like, I don't need to because they are much more informed and on it than I am. And that's great because Hat and Eric <laughs> are a lot of humans. So we've got all that going on. And uh, otherwise you can find us at Twitter at RPG Fancom and also on Instagram at the same. Steph runs a tight ship and uh, Joe is always there to be reached out to as well as uh, the rest of the team. Everyone's, super gung-ho about growing our population and we've been doing great too we've hit a couple big milestones recently for followers haven't we joe yeah we hit um seven thousand followers on twitter a few days ago so thanks everybody yeah exactly Mm -hmm. thank you so much everyone for uh tuning in and continuing to uh you know enjoy the podcast let me know what you think of it at uh podcast at rpgfan.com on the old email And uh, until next time, we'll see you then, or hear you then, or you'll hear us, whatever. Bye. Bye. I thought I thought Titus was the one in Final Fantasy VII. No, 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 that was uh, Clude. <laughs> God. Clude Striff. Clude Striff. <laughs> Clude Striff. Uh, Zidane. Uh, Tribble. Oh my gosh. Somewhere Steven Myrink is screaming at me. Anyways. (laughs) Yeah.